How do you make sure your warehouse equipment is safe for multiple users? Manufacturers adjust their supply chains during the pandemic, including some leaving China. And warehouses without automation brace for added stress this holiday season. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortna. Fortna partners with the world's leading brands to transform their distribution operations to keep pace with digital disruption and growth objectives. Known worldwide as the distribution experts, Fortna designs and delivers intelligent solutions powered by their proprietary software to optimize fast, accurate, and cost-effective order fulfillment. For more information, visit Fortna.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, how do we assure that warehouse equipment is safe for workers to use over multiple shifts? To address that question, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Ken Raycroft, National Service Director for Construction and Material Handling Equipment Dealer, Briggs Equipment, based in Dallas. Ken has more than 20 years of logistics and operations experience, and he oversees service operations throughout the United States for Briggs. He has been deeply involved with a new lift truck sanitization program designed to help businesses continue to operate in the face of COVID-19 challenges. So we asked Ken here today to talk about those challenges. So Ken, welcome. Good morning. So there's growing concern about workplace health and safety as businesses reopen and we continue to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. I wanted to ask you how this is playing out in warehouses, specifically as it relates to the machinery and equipment that employees use. It's been interesting. Um, everyone obviously wants to take necessary precautions needed to protect their employees. Um, our customers have, have really uh, been great to work with and, and adapted to including additional steps at the beginning of a, of a repair uh, opportunity at a customer site. Um, we've implemented uh, pre-work uh, wipe down processes for at the high touch points for our technicians. Um, so before they begin a, a task at a customer site on a piece of equipment, they're they're taking the steps to wipe the equipment down. Um, we've uh, implemented the process when they finish the repair. They're also doing a, a wipe down at the end. So it's really uh, evolved into a two step process with sanitation before we do the job and after we finish the interaction with the lift truck. Um, and we're making sure we're, we're looking out for everybody's health and safety, both the customers, operators, and our own employees and technicians. Briggs is a dealer for Yale and Heister Equipment and Services. And Heister Yale introduced a lift truck sanitization program called High Shield. It was designed in direct response to the COVID-19 pandemic and concerns about warehouse worker health and safety. Can you describe the program and what it entails? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been really great working with uh, the High Street Yale group and the, the as a manufacturer um, that was able to take the lead and give customers ultimately give customers what they need um, through the High Shield program. Um, the program was developed in co collaboration with uh, the de the dealer network that supports High Street Yale lift trucks across uh, across the United States. Um, you know, we met put together a task force and, and we were meeting on a weekly basis. So we um, pulling insights um, from 
best practices and, and thoughts and insights from all the dealers across the country um, that were living the frontline experiences with what was going on in the COVID in the COVID hotspots. Um, so what we discovered is, you know, most of the dealers were doing a little bit of everything um, differently. So working with the high street L group and meeting weekly, they took all the information and consolidated into a technician's best practices documents, which has been which has been fantastic. Um, very effective way to leverage the entire dealer network and figure out the the, the solutions based on the evolving situation that was on the ground. Um, a lot of customers um, don't do their own maintenance. They they utilize the dealer network on, and dealer technicians to take care of their equipment. And so we quickly realized the customers were foregoing necessary maintenance on the equipment due to the strict social distance guidelines and the uh, fear of the facility uh, of inviting outside suppliers and vendors and technicians into their facilities to perform the, the necessary service, um, you know, which is completely understandable um, due to bringing outside personnel into um, into a facility, not knowing at that point, we didn't really know how to protect and, and keep equipment clean and protect our employees and the customers uh, operators. So um, the high shield program was developed uh, to encourage the proper maintenance and allow our technicians to get back in there taking care of the customer's equipment. Make sure we were taking care of the needed repairs um, while we were properly sanitizing it and during all steps of the contact with the lift truck and the maintenance. Um, so, I mean, really the high shield program includes um, the, the makeup of it. It includes a customizable sanitation kit and, and services based on the customer's needs. Um, not only the technician best practices guideline, but the educational information that was put together for the operators to implement best practices on the equipment. Um, put together visual guides of the high touch points on each truck. Um, and then there's additional sanitation services offered that, that if a customer needs a deep clean situa uh, situation or requires additional uh, practices to be followed um, at their facility, the dealer, the dealer network can, can help organize that for the customer. Great, thank you. So this is something that the technicians from the dealers as well as the equipment operators do and it, it's a set of best practices and um, products and, and, and that kind of thing. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, that's right. Um, making the product available so it can uh, customizable for the for the model make model lift truck and the customer's application. Um, the products that go into the high shield uh, kit um, can be customizable whether it's a wipe downs or spray or sanitation um, spray, um, gloves, um, the, the different the different things that go in it. Yeah, uh, it can be used for the customer operator. It can be designed for the customer operator to take the steps to wipe down the truck. And it can be designed, it, it's designed for the dealer network technicians to also have access to that, to that uh, product. So I wanted to ask too, um, have hygiene issues and equipment cleaning always been part of, you know, the larger industry's sort of safety protocol or is this something entirely new? Yeah, this part of it's really new. The um, We've implemented a, a, a gloves program for our technicians many, many years ago, and that was more focused on cut resistance and safety, um, injury protection, whatnot, but not, not so much on the biological hazard side of it. So yeah, this is new. I wanted to ask too, um, you know, there are a variety of different forklifts and equipment in use in warehouses. Do you have different protocols for cleaning different types of equipment? Are there different, you know, rules? How does that work? 
Yeah, not really so much for the different types of equipment. It's really focusing on the high touch points. Um, we're, okay. we've, we've identified um, the high touch points on, on the equipment, the, the operator compartment, the handles, the, the mini levers, the steering wheel, the seat, seat belts, obviously things like that. So we we're, we're going through the process of sanitizing and wiping down um, the high touch surface areas. Um, so it's really regardless whether it's a, a an order picker or sit down counterbalance truck or or a walkie in rider um, anywhere the operators touching the equipment we're we're making sure we're taking the steps to so the customers operators protected and uh, and our technicians are that makes sense um, we've learned a lot about COVID nineteen since March but much of the science and guidance continues to evolve do you expect you know, forklift cleaning and sanitation and sanitization protocols to evolve as well. You know, that's that's really going to be interesting. Uh, a lot, a lot depends. Um, obviously, the touch points are going to remain the same. Um, uh, the way the operators interact with the equipment, uh, the way our technicians are, interact with the equipment, um, that's obviously going to remain the same. But the level of uh, sanitization and and the the products, that, the cleaners, and the products that are they're identified as being effective. Um, obviously, we're going to follow CDC guidelines, and and a lot of the direction and guidance for the evolution of this will, will obviously be coming from the information the CDC puts out. Perfect. That makes sense. Um, in general, I wanted to ask too: um, How are customers responding to industry efforts like yours to uh, aimed at improving overall health and safety on the job? So, you know, what are your how are your customers reacting? Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning of this, it was it was a uh, there was a lot of hesitation um, from our customers to allow uh, allow any outside service providers into their facilities. Um, so by by building the the high shield program and and working on the technician best practices documents, that's involved and changed um, to where we're gaining the confidence of the customer that that we're taking the necessary steps to to protect their their operators and their employees um, as much as we are taking the steps to protect our employees and our our technicians. So um, it's really it's really been interesting to see the transition from everybody's very cautious. Nobody's allowed in the facility that we've established a process and the high shield products allowed us to to get to gain the confidence of the customer and get back in into the facility. So um, customers are fully aware of the need to protect not only their employees, but also our technicians. So everybody's responding extremely well, and we're working working well together with our customer base. That's great, thank you. And I'm sure there's lots more work uh, that you'll have to do as as businesses continue to reopen. So, well, Ken, thank you, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Ken and Victoria. Now let's turn to some other supply chain news from the week. Ben, the pandemic is leading many companies to adjust their supply chains, including pulling their sourcing and manufacturing out of China. What are we seeing? That's right, Dave. Uh, this was a uh, survey that came from the industry analyst firm Gartner, and uh, they spoke with 260 companies uh, with global supply chains uh, between February and March of this year. And they found that 33% of, of those companies uh, have either moved their sourcing and manufacturing activities out of China or they plan to do so in the next two or three years. Uh, they've been instead looking at sourcing uh, those activities from other locations like Vietnam, India, and Mexico. 
the survey did happen, uh, as I said, in February and March. So uh, that was fairly early in, in the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, but the survey did find that there were a number of causes uh, for the trend, and that included uh, Brexit, uh, which was something that was in the headlines for, uh, for many months uh, that we all saw before uh, the, the current pandemic. And uh, and the trade war uh, between the U.S. and China, which uh, has levied some uh, rising tariffs on uh, imports and exports. But that's easier said than done to change an entire supply chain. There are costs to making that change, right? There are definitely pluses and minuses. Uh, in the same survey, uh, Gartner found that 58% of respondents, uh, almost uh, 6 in 10, said that building a more regionalized or localized supply chain in this way uh, can result in additional structural costs in their network. Uh, for example, that can make it harder for them to operate with just-in-time inventory, with uh, the sort of lean inventory approach. Uh, but the upside is uh, that a localized supply chain uh, is designed to be more resilient because it uh, gives the companies better visibility uh, and it, the agility to shift the sourcing or manufacturing or distribution activities uh, quickly. Uh, in turn, uh, that lets them cut the delays and shortages in times of disruption, which we've all seen happen uh, in recent months here, because the manufacturing uh, is now happening closer to the source of demand. So it, it really is a whole rethinking of some of these supply chains. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of years. Thank you, Ben. And to move from the broader supply chain to inside the four walls, Victoria, you wrote this week how distributors that haven't invested in automation in their warehouses will feel the added strain this coming holiday season. Can you explain why? Sure, happy to. This is a, a survey as well, and it came from a voice software provider, Voxware. It's an annual consumer survey that they, they do. Um, and it showed that COVID-19 buying behaviors uh, are likely to place additional strain on DCs uh, this holiday peak season, um, as you say, especially those that haven't optimized or invested in a lot of automation strategies. Uh, they surveyed 500 consumers earlier this month, I think it was June 4th to 9th, um, and it showed they that most plan to shop earlier, send more packages directly to recipients, and buy more online, um, including last-minute stocking stuffer items traditionally purchased in stores. And those changes, they say, mean that you know many DCs will have to kind of rethink their strategies um, around a lot of different processes, inventory, picking, fulfillment, technology, automation, and those sorts of things. Well, what kinds of changes may distribution centers have to make to adjust for this? Yeah, um, a couple of things. Well, first, because of um, changing behaviors, you know, um, they'll have to deal with um, sending items from a single order to multiple addresses. You know, as people do more Christmas shopping and they send it directly to uh, recipients, you know, they'll have to deal with that, you know, a single order going to multiple places. And they'll also have to deal with orders that include items that may be smaller and difficult to pick and pack. Like I said, those traditional stocking stuffer items. So th just those two issues alone, you know, will cause them to have to rethink things like how to optimize item selection, dealing with order sorting, label printing, um, boxing things, not to mention gift wrapping services. <laughs> That's probably going to be something they need to do as well. So, um, and they have to do all this while meeting growing expectations of a smooth online shopping and delivery experience, which is something that customers have been demanding, you know, for years now as, as e-commerce has in, increased in general. So it's just sort of all intense, uh, intensifying as this uh, these um, online buying behaviors continue to grow and change. Well, it certainly will be a different kind of holiday season this year. It would be interesting, mm -hmm. again, to, to watch how the, all this unfolds. Thank you, Victoria. Mm -hmm. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories 
as well as our continuing COVID-19 coverage and a list of resources. That's all available on dcvelocity.com. So go there to check it all out. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dave. It's always fun. Thank you. And again, our thanks to Ken Rakoff of Briggs Equipment for being with us today. And we encourage your feedback on this topic and all of our stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortnup. Fortnup partners with the world's top brands to transform distribution operations into competitive advantage. Expertise includes distribution strategy, DC operations, micro-fulfillment, automation, and intelligent software. Distribution solutions designed today for tomorrow's challenges. Learn more about the distribution experts at Fortna.com. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Sticker, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when our guest will be David Henry of Global Trans to talk about the start of the USMCA and what shippers need to know about cross-border transactions. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.